of Books to viewers and listeners, very little makes me as happy as having a repeat author come on my show. In this case, I'm almost speechless because Lisa Cross Smith's new novel, Half Blown Rose, has blown up so magnificently that I feel like I could almost say, oh, I knew her when before she got so big, rich, and famous. Um, so I'm going to reintroduce you to Lisa, and we're going to have a great time talking about her new novel. Lisa, welcome back to Book Stew. Hi. Thanks so much for having me again. Oh, it's always such a pleasure. So I have to ask you, um, how, so you have been um, named an Amazon Book of the Month, a Barnes and Nobles Book of the Month. You were on a billboard in Times Square. How does, how do, how do those situations come about where you're chosen for those honors? I have a really, really amazing team at my publishing, my publishing company. Um, my publishers are Grand Central, and it's the team that makes that sort of thing happen. So my job is to write the book, the best book I could possibly can, and that that I possibly can. And then um, my amazing team, my amazing publicist, um, the marketer, my editor, um, they really do make that magic happen. There's a lot of it that is kept from me because I don't want to know. <laughs> about it so when you get a huge wins like that it's it's really really amazing and that's just all just you know because I have a really really amazing team well you also have a really really amazing book did this is the <laughs> first of your novels that strays away from Kentucky and that strays away from everything happening during the course of a weekend which is how <laughs> sure. your books usually happen and you have told me that you love books that kind of start and resolve themselves over a weekend. Mm -hmm. This one certainly doesn't. So what led you, and it, it's also, tr there are European travels that your characters in Kentucky would not really have contemplated. So how did that switch come about in the development of the novel? Yeah, I really wanted to write about Paris because um, because we had just come back from Paris. So um, we went to Paris in summer 2019 and then came back and the world, you know, the world was shutting down. Um, I really wanted to escape to Paris again to go and I wanted her to be there for longer. So this was, you know, I set out to write her leaving for about a year. So I still had a, a time frame, but it wasn't nearly as tight as before. And because of like to what you were saying, it was something different than what I'd done before with, um, you know, a a super short, intense time frame, um, and just really just the dream, just the dreams that I had of wanting to go back to Paris and spend more than a handful of days. Um, so I just gave those dreams to my character Vincent, so she could hang out in Paris for way more than a weekend—fifty-two um, weekends plus, you know. <laughs> and um, the circumstances by which Vincent finds herself in Paris are kind of unusual. She was um, married for a while with kids, and her husband is a writer, and he writes a novel that also blows up, but betrays her by putting in his personal history something that she had never known about, which is that um, he had a child from another relationship before they met. That was that's a shock at the beginning when <laughs> when you start the novel you're like okay what kind of jerk and having a child outside of the the you know your marriage when it happened before okay but doesn't sure. tell your 
wife and family about it. I right. mean, I still couldn't, you know, he was, the husband was kind of about like, why didn't you tell me? And so Vincent, who's lucky in that she has uh, wonderfully successful and artistic parents who have a beautiful apartment in Paris, just says, I'm out of here. I'm going to try to figure out whether I want to stay married to you or not. And he is really still loves her and mm -hmm. is determined to win her back. But in the meantime, Vincent meets someone in Paris. And of course, it's Paris, so you must meet someone. And, <laughs> uh, and falls in love with, as I think, as much with Paris as she does with Lou, having get to spend all the time together. And just finds right. herself in a completely different milieu than she did at home. Um, mm -hmm. the, the family, her family, Vincent's family itself, and of course being a woman named Vincent, um, her parents have named all their three children after artists, um, right. is, is, um, is, a great, is a great character, but I'm particularly intrigued by her parents. Can you tell mm -hmm. um, the viewers and listeners about her parents? Because I think in a way they deserve their own novel, and I know you've got <laughs> another book coming and then a long deserved rest, but I'd, I'd love it if those parents could make their way into their own book. Oh, I love that. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, um, I, re I just really wanted to um, write about a woman who came from these people who really encouraged and their children to pursue their dreams um, with no limits, really. So, um, you know, Vincent is the middle child. She has an older brother named Theo, which is Vincent Van Gogh's brother's name. And so Theo makes furniture and he lives in Amsterdam and she has a little sister called Monet and she lives in Malibu and, you know, works at a little shop. And, and Vincent's always felt comfortable doing what she does, which is make, um, she makes jewelry, she makes earrings. And, and so, um, it's it's I, it was really important for me to write about a privileged black woman too. Um, she comes from money. She, she you know they went to private school. They they she had this really posh lifestyle growing up, and um, I just really wanted to explore uh, a black woman in her forties who had like these really eccentric parents who her dad wears like yellow glasses and and he. <laughs> really famous making um making music for like funkadelic music in the late 70s early early 80s he does this weird like graffiti art that i never really quite explained so that it's <laughs> sort of out there her mom does this like performance art like lou mentions hearing of her once because she planted herself in a garden for the winter like <laughs> i really wanted to have these like kind of out there things that people it was kind of hard to picture because they're just sort of out there like super wealthy artistic people can be they you know they kind of don't live on this planet anymore because they're so privileged. Um, and so I, I just really wanted to set her up with that posh past that she had. And then also to give her the freedom. Um, she goes to Paris and teaches at the Modern Art Museum, but she has plenty of money. She's never in danger of like, oh, I, I have to go to work. I need this money to live or even selling her earrings, she doesn't need the money to live. I needed to give her that space so that she could have free time to walk around and eat chocolate bread and talk to the young man in short shorts. And she also uh, falls in with a much younger crowd of people who don't seem to be at all conscious of her of the age difference between them. 
which I thought mm -hmm. was really interesting. Um, do you think that is something that is unique to Paris in that um, nobody, I mean, of course, the descriptions of her is that she looks very young and she's very, she's beautiful. So um, I, I was wondering about that, how everyone was so comfortable with her and nobody thought to, thought to themselves, wow, what's this old lady hanging out with us for? <laughs> Did you, and her group of friends is very well developed, and there's mm -hmm. even some intrigue going on uh, between the friends. But um, tell us how you came about developing Luke, because he is like a dream boyfriend, for sure. He's definitely a dream beau, yeah. Um, um, Speaking about the ages, yeah, you know, so Lou is, you know, the same age as Vincent's son, Colm. So he, you know, when the book starts, he's 24, she's 44. So he's 20 years, um, he's 20 years younger than her. And, and specifically the fact that he's the same exact age as her son is what is so jarring to her. <laughs> and it's really weird to her too. She doesn't want to accept her feelings for him at first. But um, so he, he hangs with, out with people his age. She begins hanging out with people who are kind of more around her age. One of her closest friends, Batiste, is her exact age. They were born on the exact same day. Um, but, you know, yeah, I have his friends just be kind of chill and accepting with what they have going on. But I do plant a seed there. Um, so Baptiste is married to a woman called Mina and Mina is Lou's cousin. And Mina is the one that has a problem with the age thing. She's like, he's a little young for you. She she really is like, finds herself really bristly with, with Vincent because she's kind of nosy, well, really nosy and doesn't like what's going on. But when it comes to developing Lou, um, yeah, I, you know, that I just kind of made up because I'm, so I have a, I have a part in the book where when Vincent imagines herself ever having an affair, she always pictured it being with like a 50 something year old man who lives in Sweden and drives a James Bond car and lives <laughs> in a glass house. She never pictured it being a 20 something year old guy who wears super short shorts to class and skateboards and, you know, just hangs out in his hoodie all the time. So it's shocking to her. I'm also never found myself really particularly attracted to men half my age. Um, I do love BTS and they're all in their twenties, but besides that, you know, it was kind of hard for me to, to, to do that because I don't think of men in their twenties, um, in that way. Um, but so I gave those reservations to Vincent when, when she's just like, there's something there that's really undeniable. She fights it from, she ends up in Paris in the summer. And then it's not until October that she even lets him come back to her apartment. Um, she is really fighting it, but he has pretty hair. He has a really great nose. She, you know, you know her friend again is like, Oh, he kind of reminds me of Timothée Chalamet. It's all these things she just can't resist. And so I just really poured all of that sort of like, teenage crush coming of age crush beautiful hair beautiful clothes what are we going to do let's just kind of invite him back to the apartment and see what happens energy um over and over again into vincent and lou and um your love of paris especially i now knowing that you had come back and then the world shuts down is so yeah. evident through the whole book so i'm going to um just grab a couple of different short parts that I particularly loved, and a lot of them um, involve Paris, and I'm going to share them uh, with the audience. So the first one is Vincent walking around Paris and 
Um, you wrote, Vincent likes the stretches of time when she can walk and zone out and not recognize what anyone is saying. Her brain doesn't have to do any work and she finds the secret sounds calming. This refers to the fact that when she first lands in Paris, she's not fluent in the language. And I loved that idea. Did you feel that way when you were walking around Paris? I, I did to a certain extent. Like, you know, I, I had learned some French, but I'm not fluent. And I remember my girlfriend, when she was traveling abroad, she went to live in China for a while. And I remember her saying that to me that a lot, cause I was like, is it weird that you don't know the language? And she was like, it's actually kind of nice, you know, because I can, you know, I don't have to, I'm not listening to what other people are saying. I can just relax in my own mind. And I love that. And I remember thinking about that. Well, you portrayed that beautifully. So, um, I mean, I just, um, I've, I have traveled to India and it was, you know, India is crazy busy everywhere you walk, so you don't get these kind of contemplative walks. But in a way, it was freeing not to have to mm -hmm. talk to people. Um, yeah. And now uh, we get into uh, Vincent and Luke. And remember, she's still married to Killian. And she hasn't, she's cut him loose temporarily by going to Paris, but she has not asked for a divorce or ended their marriage or anything. So um, there is a part, a big part of Vincent that is very married. And there is also a part, a big part of her heart locked inside that cage. But there is also a part, a small part of her that has rattled loose. I love that description. I just think that's perfect and I think you did a wonderful job of keeping the balance between her husband, who is still kind of pursuing her, but not uh, in, in a kind of a, a gentle way that doesn't turn urgent until you know further on. And that kind of gives her the freedom to cavort with Lou um, <laughs> without like with stressing about the conflict between feeling married and not feeling married, but kind of you know, getting getting through it and letting the pleasure kind of overtake her. Right, right. And let's see. Okay, so here's more about Paris. She feels floaty and free like a teenager again. It's late and everything surrounding them is painfully pretty. How do Parisians get anything done? How are they all not wandering around, mouths agape in wide-eyed wonder? <laughs> I love that. So there's, you know, the people of Paris just going, do-do-do, I'm walking, I'm doing, I'm going to my job. And there's, you know, Vincent, like, just, ah. <laughs> right. So you caught that really well. I thought that was beautifully described. You, there's, you. there's something about your writing. I don't quite know how to explain it, and I think I mentioned it before. You just have these descriptive phrases way of, that are just so relatable and yet beautiful. They're almost poetic. Um, so I only have two more. One of the windows is slightly open. It's almost too cool for it, but she loves the windows too much to leave them closed. Leaving them open means she can hear the constant lovely whisper of, I'm in Paris, I'm in Paris, like a heartbeat on the wind. I think that illustrates what I just mentioned about, about um, your way of writing, of making somewhat mundane things absolutely 
glowingly gorgeous. Wow, well, thank you. High compliment, thank you so much. That was a beautiful passage. Okay, and the last one, this is, um, uh, this is a letter that she writes, or an email maybe, and she says, people seem to laugh more here than they do in the US. I noticed it in Paris too, and not only do people laugh more often, but it's louder. It seems like in general, people are happier here, or at least feel more comfortable exhibiting that happiness. I think that captures how she felt the whole time she was in Paris, but um, you, you know, the more time Vincent spends in Paris, the more you get into the feelings that being in Paris evoke. Um, when you were there, how long did you stay? So we went on a long trip. We started in London and ended up in Amsterdam. So almost all of the places in the book, almost all of them, um, we actually visited. But um, we did not go to the south of France. But um, so we were in Paris for like four or five days um, in between London and on our way to Amsterdam. Well, for only had you been there previously or was this your first no. trip? No, it was my first time, yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> to be there for only four or five days. And in the book, um, Vincent does travel with Lou to, the, to other cities, but Paris is really the, I mean, the, it, it is as much a book about Paris as it is about Vincent, I think, and, and, a, and a tribute to Paris. Uh, so for you to be able to capture that with such a short stay yourself means that I can just, you know, it helps me imagine how much it means to you and meant to you to be there. Yeah, that's a lovely way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was surprised myself. <laughs> I was really, um, you know, it's somewhere I wanted to go my whole life, but um, I was surprised myself how, how I felt there, how comfortable I felt there. And, and really, um, it, it just is a special, special place for me. So it was really exciting and it was, it was really so healing to, to escape back to there during the pandemic. Like, I can't really put that into words. Um, this is what I was doing during the pandemic. You know, instead of, you know, anxiously just waiting to see what would happen next, I just dove into going back to Paris in my brain, writing a book that could take um, readers there when they picked it up to make it uh, as immersive as possible. And I don't know if I would have written a book so immersive in a city like this, if not for the pandemic. You know, I, I would have had her in Paris or another city, sure, but, but I don't know if I would have dug in the same way with listing so many streets and exact landmarks and just this really immersive walk you know, this walk, these walking tours of Paris that I want to take the reader on. I'm not sure I would have done that in the same way. And, you know, I had dreams to go back. We originally wanted to go back, but couldn't because of COVID. So um, I just was like, well, let me just go back into the book until we can go back for real. That makes me think that there should be a Vincent tour of Paris. I mean, I would, I have not been to Paris yet and I would love to, but wow, to go and to walk in Vincent's fictional footsteps and see everything that she describes. That would be, but of course I'd want a Lou to walk with me, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, wouldn't we all, yes, but they're actually on my website, you actually can go, I'll link to it there. I did a walking tour of Paris from Vincent's point of view and I hit some spots like Shakespeare and Company and when they, where they go to the gardens and when they walk along the Seine. So um, it's, you can click around on it, 
and save it for later to where everyone can do it in real life, hopefully one day. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. I didn't even notice that. So um, speaking of COVID, which we kind of always have to do, so when, so when did you start the book? Um, so it's a short story. So I have a short story collection called So We Can Glow that came out in 2020. And there is um, the, in hardback and then the paperback version, there is a story called Vincent in there. That's a short story. That's actually pretty much the first chapter ish of the novel. Um, and I, I wrote that in I, it's really hard to say, but, you know, I want to say just like 2019. And then um, from, you know, in, in 2020, it became a novel, a longer novel. So when you wrote the short story, was did you know when you finished it that there was a novel in there? No. So Vincent was just going to be one of um, many women I was going to write about in another short story collection. But I just decided I wanted to write a novel instead, and I wanted um, Vincent to be um, to have all that space to herself. And um, tell us what you felt like when you hit Times Square and you saw Half Blown Rose up on that humongous, lighted, bright billboard. I mean, I have pictures of you showing it and I will include them in the episode, but I'm just trying to figure you seeing it and when, you know, between your eyes and your heart, what, what you must have felt like when you saw that. Yeah, well, the first time I ever saw it was as soon as we landed in New York, my publicist sent me the email that had professional pictures um, from Amazon that they'd taken. So I, I saw it and what it was going to look like. Um, and I just immediately burst into tears. I usually cry on planes, but this one had landed. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. So so that was just, you know, I can't really explain that feeling. It's just weird. <laughs> and I mean that in a good way, but just a wild, weird feeling. Um, and then um, when we went to it, yeah, it was a little off. Um, it's a little down from Times Square. It's, so there's Macy's and it's a Penn Station. Um, huge billboard next to the million dollar billboard. So it's this row of beautiful, huge billboards. And when we first got there to look at it, I just missed it. So I, I looked up and Half Moon Rose was disappearing. So that was a surreal moment <laughs> because it almost feel like you had just imagined it. It wasn't there. I've somehow like projected it up there with my mind but it was real so it it, it, it ran um, I believe every like five to eight minutes so we stood there for a while because it was really <laughs> waiting for it to come back up again so um yeah I was there for four or five days and got to go back every day and watch it at different times of the day and to make sure that I wasn't making it all up but yeah it's a it's just a moment you know it's one of the most moments you know you'll never forget it's surreal I look if I didn't have pictures I would be convinced I made it up it's just a real special thing a dream I didn't even really know I had I didn't sit around dreaming for something like that it's just like this really really amazing treat and it was just so beautiful what a special special gift I mean it was really really special and then uh, there's the whole airport novel thing, which, you know, I follow on your Facebook and Twitter. So um, somehow being in an airport bookstore has always meant a lot to you. And, you know, you've made it now with a few books. Um, is that because you traveled and you kind of, as an author, you always wanted to see your book in the bookstore? What, what in particular made being in an airport bookstore so important to you? Um, Really, it would 
I used to be such an anxious flyer that going to the little store and buying a magazine, a book, some gums and bottled water was just a way for me to quell that anxiety. And it's just like a ritual I have before I get on a plane. I'm a much, much better flyer now. And I actually really, really love flying now. So it's not those same things for me. But I always loved the idea of thinking of someone being a nervous flyer or just needing something to distract their mind with a book and picking up my book. Um, I really, I call myself a cozy advocate, but I really do put so much like comfy, cozy stuff in my books that I loved thinking about someone um, who just needed an escape being able to pick up my book at the bookstore um, in the airport. And because um, there's only a handful of books that they have in the airport um, bookstores that just don't have a lot of room for a lot of books. And so to be selected and to, you know, for my team to be able to get my book in the book in the bookstore in the airport. I, I can't really explain it. I just love it. I just want to be there. I see I see other authors there all the time. I see other books there all the time. And um, I wanted my book there too, you know, and now it is. And it's, yeah, and I have two books um, in the airports, but I've still never seen it in the airport. Everyone has sent me pictures. I have been to airports, but I've never gotten my eyes on it. So I still have a layer of that dream um, that hopefully can come true. But even if I don't get to see it with my own eyes, um, I have lots and lots of pictures and I have a, a really great friend I met through my books that, um, and he, on one day he was just like, in I don't know, 15 different airports. And he took a picture of it and all of them. And it was like this kind of like, where's Waldo? It was just really fun. And he was so sweet to do that. And so I'll cherish those pictures forever, even if I don't get to see them. Oh, what a wonderful friend. And I hope you'll still get to see it. So yes. um, are you are you touring for the book at all or are you doing mostly uh, virtual appearances? Yeah, well, I have. I, have. I did some, you know, so uh, it's hard to even remember now. It's been two, three weeks since it came out. So I had um, I had some events and now they're starting, you know, they're starting to taper off a little bit, the in-person ones, but I still have a, like a, a handful of virtual ones to do. So how um, how has COVID affected you as a writer? Yeah, so I actually feel a little bit shy answering this question because COVID, I, I, I wrote more in COVID. I was um, I was promoting two books at the time. I sold two books. Um, and so um, COVID did not affect me as a writer at all, not with my actual writing, not with my actual art. And the only place it affected me is like learning to do things like this, learning to um, produce videos to do virtual events but it did not affect my writing in any way and like I said I almost feel bad saying it but it's just true for me I worked more during the pandemic than you know I'm always working a lot but it did not um, hinder my work in any way well I don't think you have to feel bad about it because you know everyone responded in different ways and I have read other writers saying that it just gave them a space where there were fewer distractions and that's right. always helpful for writers um, so I have, yeah. I have one more question and then we, I'm sorry that we have to say goodbye, but I'm not going to talk about the ending of the book because I want it to be a surprise, but it's an interesting ending. It's an intriguing ending. Did you have different endings in mind before you settled on that one? No. So I always knew that's how it was going to end. And I also always knew that I would get um, DMs from people and um, my email's not available, but um, it, I knew that I would also get 
emails if people wanted to to find that. I knew that people would probably write letters to my editor and agent um, asking questions. I have gotten those, so I was right about that. Um, I wrote the ending the way I wanted to write it because I believe that um, uh, smart readers and readers and people who enjoy being able to make decisions for um, themselves would would enjoy it, and that's where the characters were leading me the whole time. So there was never any question about that. That's great because I thought the ending was just perfect and I don't feel that way many times, sadly <laughs> enough, when I read okay. books. Because a lot of times you feel like the author just said, uh, okay, like this is enough words, so I'm just gonna end it here. <laughs> and they don't really, I mean, the ending is almost the most, one of the most important parts of the book, really. Because if you have a, a crappy ending, it makes yeah. you like reflect badly on the whole book. But sure. we have to say goodbye. So thank you so much for joining me a second time. Um, I welcome you coming back when your next book comes out and I even hope to have a chance to talk to you while you're relaxing <laughs> and not writing any books at all. <laughs> so it was wonderful to talk to you again, Lisa. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So Bookstew viewers and listeners, um, the next show after Lisa's is another return guest. His name is Peter Boyo, and he wrote this wonderful book about dog that was, consisted of dog obituaries, which was like hilarious and sweet. But he in real life was a general manager on Broadway, and he did write a book about the life of a Broadway general manager. So he's going to be back with us again discussing that book, and I hope you'll... Uh, Stick with me for the next bunch of episodes and have a good night.